Julie, I didn't warn you. We're going to start right off with a slide this morning, and, and that's it. God hates divorce. Now, um, if, you've, if you've been divorced, if you're going through a divorce, or if you're currently thinking about divorce, um, that probably stings. A little bit uncomfortable, right? And, and maybe even um, right now, you're second-guessing your decision to come to church this morning. You're like, wait, nobody told me <laughs> you were going to talk about that. Well, God hates divorce is a quote from Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. Malachi was a prophet that lived uh, about 100 years after the Israelites came back from their exile in Babylon, right? So they'd, they'd been in, in Babylon for 70 years in exile. Through really a miraculous set of events, God brings them back from Babylon and um, repatriates them into their homeland in Israel. Um, they do really good for a while. Like they rebuild the walls of the city. Then they rebuild the temple that Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed. And um, then they kind of just forgot about everything. And like they rebuilt the city, but they forgot to rebuild their faith. And so they're once again breaking God's commands and living in whatever way they want to. And so the book of Malachi, it's the last book in the Old Testament, and it's set up as a series of like legal accusations that um, Malachi makes, the prophet of God makes against the people of Israel. So um, God speaks to Malachi, Malachi then goes to the people and he says, look, um, here's a problem. Here's something you're doing that is not what God would have you do. And the people like argue against it. Like they say, no, that's not, that's not true. <laughs> we didn't do that. We're not doing that. And then, and then Malachi kind of gives them the proof that they're looking for, right? So in chapter two, the prophet is laying out this reason that God is not happy, he's not pleased with the sacrifices that the people are making. And so God's not accepting their offerings. Now, we're not given any information at all about why, or I guess how, not why, but how God is not accepting the, the offerings or the sacrifices of the people. So if you understand the Old Testament um, sacrificial system and how it worked, you would um, sin, you'd do something, you'd break one of the 613 commands that God had given Moses on Mount Sinai, you break one of those commands, um, you, you realize it, then you, you get an animal or a food sacrifice of some sort, the whatever was required based on the sin that you committed, right? And the, the bigger the sin, the, the bigger the sacrifice it took. So you'd get that sacrifice and you'd go to the temple You'd offer it to the priests. They'd prepare the sacrifice. You would um, kind of lay your hand on the sacrifice in a symbolic way, transferring the guilt of your sin into that animal. Then that animal was killed, was slaughtered in your place and given to God. But somehow, some way, and again, we're not told how, but somehow God is not accepting the sacrifices of the people. They're going to the temple, they're making sacrifices, but, but God isn't pleased with them. He's not accepting them. And, and so um, Malachi is dealing with this issue in the people. It's like, he's like, look, God's not accepting your sacrifices. You're not doing something right. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And so he begins to explain it. And so um, the, the way that I would say it maybe is, is like this. According to the law, the people were ritually pure because they were doing what the law required. When they sinned, they would make a sacrifice. They were um, ritually pure, but spiritually they were poor. That They were following the letter of the law but that really was about it. So let's go, I, I, we're just diving in this morning, right? Because this, this is a scary topic. Like if, if you understand that statistics still say, I think about 50% of marriages end in divorce. And, and so half of us maybe in the room have experienced divorce 
or, or we've had a family member or somebody close to us that has. And so we're all dealing with this. Um, so we're just diving right in this morning. I'll say, so let's go to Malachi chapter 2 and, and look at what happens. So Malachi is talking to the people and he says this. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. So apparently the people would go to make their offerings. Somehow God would not accept them. And, and, and they, were, they were crying out to God, like, why aren't you accepting? Like, I'm doing what you told me to do. Why aren't you accepting my offering? Uh, and, and so you, you, you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? And so Malachi says, I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows that you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, she didn't run out on you, the wife of your marriage vows. She remained faithful. Now, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You are his. We talked about that last week. A man and, and a woman are, are united together. They become one. And, and so what does God want from, from that union, that, that unity, that covenant relationship? Well, he wants godly children from your union. So guard your heart. We've been talking about the heart, right, in, in this series and, and how Jesus is dealing not just with the letter of the law, but the intent, the attitude, the things that are going on in our heart. So he says, guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. There it is again. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. Now look, d divorce is not new, right? D divorce has been a part of the life of Israel and, and really the, the life of, of every nation, every people, everywhere since the beginning. The Israel gets the commands from God at, at Mount Sinai after they leave Egypt. God brings them out of Egypt and and they begin their covenant relationship with God, right? And so God appears to them in the mountain and he speaks to the people. Then he speaks to Moses, or speaks to the people through Moses. And he says, here's the deal. Um, I'll be your God and you'll be my people if you follow my commands. If you do what I want you to do, then I'll bless you and I'll provide for you and I'll protect you and I'll make you into a great nation and all the nations of the world will be blessed and will come to you. But you got to follow these commands. And, and so it started with the Ten Commands, right? Those are the, the big ones that, that, that we used to have in our courtrooms and all that kind of stuff and talk about in school. And, uh, and then there were um, 603 other commands that were given. You can read about those in Leviticus and the rest of the, the Torah, the first five books in the Old Testament. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter four, 24, Moses gives the grounds for acceptable divorce. And, and we're not going to go there and, and read it this morning, but, but basically what it says is this. If your wife becomes displeasing to you because of something indecent, you can give her a certificate of divorce and send her away. Okay, that, that, was, that was the law. The law uh, in Jerusalem was that if your wife did something displeasing that was indecent, you could just give her this certificate and send her away. Now, even in Jesus' day, there's controversy about this issue of divorce. And there were basically two schools of, of thought, and I don't remember the name of the other guy. But anyway, there were two schools of thought that were headed up by, by two religious leaders, like scholar people who said, here's what Deuteronomy 24 means. And so the first guy said that the only reason from Deuteronomy 24, the only reason for giving your wife a certificate of divorce was adultery. So if she was um, sexually active with somebody outside of your marriage, then you could give her a certificate of divorce and you could send her away. The second guy uh, had a little bit different take of Deuteronomy 24. And, and he said... Um, no, I don't agree with, with that interpretation. I, I think that you can give your wife a certificate of divorce for any reason you choose. Like anything that you decide, you're the man, anything you decide, you can just say, 
um, I think this is indecent of her and I want to get rid of her and so I could give her a certificate of divorce and, and send her away. Um, now, w- which one do you think was m- most accepted? <laughs> now, that's the Jesus answer, right? <laughs> but that's not the way it was. Like everybody in Israel agreed with option number two. Like they wanted easy divorce. Any reason I can think of to divorce my wife, I'll just write her a certificate and give it. And, and, and they would say, this is what Moses said. Moses said we could just give our wives this, this, this certificate and, and send her on her way. We talked last week about the patriarchy that existed in, in Israel. It was absolutely a male-dominated society. And so without a certificate of divorce, a, a woman was unable to remarry lawfully. She was really unable to do just about anything outside of her husband. For her to do anything, to make any decisions, to have any conversations with somebody, her husband had to be involved. And so if a husband sent his wife away without a certificate of divorce, she couldn't marry again, which means she was destitute, right? Or she had to go back to her family if they would accept her and let her back in the house. So this, this woman was, was just on her own. And so Moses comes in and says, okay, this, this is not right. And so if you're going to divorce your wife and send her away, you have to give her a certificate of divorce, which is like her legal document that says, um, that literally that says, my husband is unhappy with me and doesn't want me to be his wife anymore. And, and here's a piece of paper that proves it. And so now I can go, and if anybody else will have me, I'll, I can marry them or I can do other things. And, and it kind of, um, well, it, it gave women an opportunity to do some other things, but it was horribly oppressive. It was not good at all. It did give them some freedom, um, but it was not the kind of freedom that we would choose, right? It was... It was objectified. It was, it was bad. And, and, and it just wasn't a good situation. But a woman, regardless of the situation in her home, was unable to initiate a divorce from her husband. Right? So, so in Jewish law, Israel law at the time, the patriarchy of the time, a man could divorce his wife for any reason he would choose. But he could do anything he wanted to her And she was unable to to do anything. She had no recourse. If she let, I mean, it's a lot, honestly, it's a lot like it is today. If she left the house, if he was abusive to her in some way and she left to get away, there was no place for her to go. Right? There there was a, a law that ruled the people. And if she went back home to her family, they would go, what are you doing? You can't stay here. It was just, it was not a good situation. It left women with very, very little in the way of options. So if an abusive man refused her to give a certificate of divorce, she was stuck in a loveless and lifeless marriage. Now, as you can imagine, the, the Pharisees and really every man in Israel wanted to continue this male-dominated, perpetuated practice because it favored them, right? I mean, like... This sounds like a good idea. Like, we should keep doing this. And, and since they made the rules, no women were, they didn't vote on these things, right? It's not the way it was. These men sat around in a room and they made decisions and they didn't care about what else happened as long as they got what they wanted. So it kind of makes sense. It gives us a little bit more understanding of what happens in Matthew chapter 19. We have a group of religious leaders, the Pharisees, all men who believed that a man, by law, by God's law, could divorce a woman for any uh, reason that he chooses. And so they came to Jesus one day to ask Jesus what his perspective of Moses' law of divorce was. They wanted to know, which camp are, are you in? Which camp do you belong to? So is Jesus going to um, continue the the patriarchy, or is he going to crash it? Now, the, the text starts out in Matthew 19 that the Pharisees came to Jesus to trap him or to trick him. So once again, they were using a controversial hot-button issue 
And they were going to Jesus to see what he would say, expecting him to say something that they could then use against him. Now, I I don't know about you, but that sounds like exactly what has gone on for the last 2,000 years, right? Outside of the church, we pick this hot-button topic that we know the church has a biblical stand on, and we come to the church and go, uh, what do you think about this? And if you, as an individual, you take the side of God and you go, well, I, I believe that the Bible says this about this issue, then, then like you're wrong, right? And it's, and it's bad and it's not good and you lose friends and neighbors and everybody hates you because you took this, this stand. And so what was Jesus going to do? How, how was he going to handle this situation? Well, let's look at Matthew 19. Again, the Pharisees came up to him. They tested him by asking him this. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, just to make sure we all understand, um, it absolutely was lawful in that day and time to divorce your wife for any cause. That was the practice. That was the tradition. That's what they believe the law of God said. So it's not really a trick, right? I mean, clearly they expect him to say something else. This is Jesus' answer. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That's the covenant we're talking about. They'll become one flesh. They're no longer two, but they're one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And so they said to him, well, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? That's a good question in this this moment. Jesus' response, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was gone. It was not so. (laughs) Good thing I have it here. Uh, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So Jesus says, look, this law that you have been, oh, good, this law that you have been um, living your life based on, right? And you've just been divorcing your wives and you give her a certificate and she, she runs off. This is not the way God intended it. And it was your hardness of heart. So why does he say that? Well, he, he says it because at the time that Moses gave this law about the certificate of divorce, men were just sending their wives away with nothing. And they had no recourse. No, they couldn't marry anybody else because then that was adultery, right? They couldn't go anywhere else. They couldn't do anything else. They were just pushed to the side. They were destitute. They were left alone. And so Moses saw that this was going on and they initiated this idea of the certificate of divorce to give the women something that would allow them to either marry again or go back home or or find something else to do. It was a much better situation than it was before, but Jesus says it wasn't good. This wasn't the way it was. It was because your hearts were hard and in the beginning it It wasn't so. And so whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And there's a couple really important points that we need to consider um, today. And there's six of them, okay? And I'm just going to run down through them. Uh, And and it's a lot, and I realize that. Uh, So if we can want to talk later, that's that's cool. So so here you go. Um, Number one. Every time divorce is discussed in the Bible, the divorce that's being discussed was initiated by a man. Did you notice the passages we read already? Deuteronomy 24, Matthew 19, uh, Malachi 2, all of those are male-centric. They all start with a man. The man divorced his wife. It's always a man divorcing a woman in Scripture. In fact, I don't think there is a single time in Scripture where a woman is, is seen or where it's recorded that a woman initiated a divorce. I, I think that's really important. <laughs> I think it's important because um, a lot of women come to the church from 
dysfunctional, abusive relationships. And they go, I'm stuck. What do I do? And, and the church, man, this is tough, okay, but, but I think sometimes the church wrongly has said, well, if you leave your husband, you're committing adultery. And I just want to submit to you this morning that I can't find a place in Scripture that we can go back to and say for sure that that's what's going on. And I don't think we can find it because, again, there is not a place in Scripture where a woman divorces her husband for any reason. So how do we find, how do we find that thing to like hold on to and, to and to go, this is the way it is, when the Bible simply doesn't address it? Based on context, in every place that I've found divorce in Scripture, it seems that the man is divorcing the woman, and it's without cause. Okay, again, Matthew chapter 2, or, or Malachi 2, Matthew 19, Deuteronomy 24, every single time that Jesus addresses divorce, he's talking about a man who has divorced his wife without just cause. That's important to know as we go on. Secondly, the Pharisees were testing Jesus to see if he agreed with them. That they were looking to pick a fight. They knew divorce was a hot topic, especially to men, right? And so there's lots of men around Jesus. There's some women, but there's lots of men around Jesus. And they come to him to pick a fight. What's Jesus going to say? Because if Jesus says what he said... That the only valid reason for you as a man to divorce your wife is if she, is, if she goes with some other guy, he, he's going to lose a whole bunch of the guys who are following him. So they're looking to pick a fight. They knew divorce was a hot topic. So their question wasn't really about Moses' command. It was about their choice. They didn't really care about what Moses said. They cared about what they got to do. And that's what we've been talking about, right? The heart stuff. Is Jesus going to side with us and continue our dominance? Or is he going to side with the women and kind of upset the apple cart, lose a bunch of his disciples, and nobody's going to follow him anymore? Well, Jesus, this is number three. Jesus goes back to pages one and two. We talked about that last week. Jesus goes back to pages one and two, and he says, well, in the beginning, <laughs> this is the way it was. Like, he skirts all of that other stuff, and he goes back. In the beginning, God's intent for marriage was one man and one woman in covenant relationship until they died or until one of them um, died. And that was the way it was before sin and selfishness twisted it all up. God's design was one man and one woman together in covenant relationship until Death, that's God's standard. Now, like his standard for um, sexual purity before marriage or the prohibition of murder or coveting, his desire that his disciples tell the truth, that they stand up for the oppressed and hold each other accountable, like God has a standard for everything, right? And, and, and sometimes we don't like that standard. But, but it's not our standard to make. Like, we're not the ones who make the rules. Number four. Jesus sided with the more strict interpretation that divorce was not a get-out-of-marriage-quick card. But it was only to be used in the most severe of circumstances. And remember, every time in Scripture that Jesus talks about divorce or that divorce comes up, it's always the man, he was speaking to men and tells the men there that the only valid reason for seeking a divorce is her sexual infidelity. That's, that's huge, right? I mean, when you're in a culture where a man can divorce his wife because he doesn't like the way she looks anymore, he, he raised the bar pretty high. Number five, Jesus... Um, never deals with a woman's reason to seek divorce. And I think he never deals with it because a woman was not allowed to initiate divorce 
So it wasn't even a topic of discussion. They didn't even bring it up because it was like so far down the, the line of, of, of society and culture that it just didn't even come up. Lastly, according to the culture of the day, a man could divorce his wife and could make up any excuse he wanted and other men in the community would support him. Right? This was um, a boys club. They could do whatever they wanted because they made the rules. And when one of them broke the rules, they just changed the rules. That's the way it went. And so we have to understand Jesus' response in the context of the culture that he was speaking into. He was raising the standard for divorce from a choice to a consequence. And so, um, look, look at this. <laughs> this is just a day for nothing to, nothing to work right. Dang it. Oh, maybe, just a second. Just hang with me a, a moment. This is good. Make sure the connections are there. Well, that worked last time. Ah, okay. Um, well, here it is. Hey, it, listen, it, this is a good opportunity to say, if you want to know the notes from the message today, including the things that are going to pop up on this, or the things that would have popped up on the screen, uh, go to my message notes, uh, reallifecc.us on your mobile device. You can do that. I know some of you do that here. Um, go there, scroll down until it says uh, my message notes, and then you can click on that, and it will um, uh, appear I think the input has uh, changed, maybe, DJ, if you're looking at that on the screen here. Okay, um, <laughs> here's the point, okay? Here's what we need to remember. Divorce should be the consequence of unfaithfulness, not the choice of the unfulfilled. I'm going to say that again because it's not on the screen and I want it to, to soak in. Divorce should be the consequence of unfaithfulness, not the choice of the unfulfilled. It's what comes next, though, in Matthew 19 that is most um, telling to me, I, I think. So, so Jesus has just said to these, to these men, um, you can't divorce your wife for any reason uh, except her unfaithfulness, and then you can divorce her. So he's raised the bar, and the disciples, the disciples say, these are his followers, right? These guys that have been close to him, and they haven't spent a lot of time together, but enough. And, and so these people ask Jesus, if this is the case, that, that a man can't divorce his wife unless she is unfaithful, if this is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry and I'm going to jump ahead in my notes because this is too good. So, so here's what they, they're saying. Um, they push back against Jesus because I, really, honestly, they were hoping that he would agree with the more relaxed interpretation of Deuteronomy 20. They expected him to say, oh, no, you can divorce your wife for any reason you, you want. And so when he doesn't say that, they're like, oh, wait a minute. Look, if, if, if we can't do that, it's better for us just not to marry at all. Here's what they're saying. If we can't divorce our wives for whatever reason we choose, then it's better to not marry at all. Let me give you a modern day equivalent of, of what I think, this, I think they're saying. Um, if you've ever been on a diet and you've said something like, um, God... If I can't eat whatever I want and still lose weight, I'm just going to stop eating completely. If you've ever had a child and you said, um, don't play in the street, and they got mad at you, and so they held their breath till they passed out, that's what the disciples are doing. The disciples have basically come to Jesus and they'd say, what, what's going on in this situation? And Jesus has said the rules and they've said, we don't like the rules. We're taking our ball and going home. That's what's happening. They're employing, I think, an often used excuse today for male infidelity. 
What are we as men told now from the time that we're very young? What are we told in school and society and whatever else? We are told that men are not created or evolved or whatever word you want to use. Men were not created to, to be uh, with one woman for our whole lives. That, that, that we somehow are incapable of controlling our sexual urges to the point that that urge dictates everything we do in our lives. We simply are at the mercy of our body parts. That's what we're told by society. And so to have one woman, to be married to her, and only have one female as your sexual partner for your entire life, that is ridiculous. It goes against everything that the world and evolution tells us. And so there is no sense for a man to try and not, to try and be faithful to one woman and one sexual partner for his whole life. Okay, here's Jesus' response to their, <laughs> to their whining. He says in Jesus' fashion, not everybody can receive this message, but only those to whom it's given. So he's like, look, if this freaks you out, just like hold your breath, right? It's gonna, it's gonna get, it's gonna, there's gonna be a lot more coming. But, but this teaching This understanding of how to live in the new kingdom. It's not for everybody. It's only for those people who choose to to follow this life. And and this is what I really like. He goes on in verse 12. There are eunuchs. A a eunuch is a castrated male. There are eunuchs who have been so from birth. So a defect, birth defect at the time. Left them castrated. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. Um, so if, if you worked in the king's harem, uh, men were in charge of everything. A man worked in the king's harem. He was over the kings. If you go back to uh, the book of Esther and read about that, there's several men listed there that Esther deals with. And um, all of those men who work in the king's harem have, are eunuchs. They've all, they've all gone through that process. And, and, and men wanted to do that. Right? They wanted to do that because working in a harem in the kingdom was a very, very high position. It was a very important position. And so, and so men were willing to go through that process. But look what he says next. There are also eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, they didn't make themselves physically eunuchs. What he's saying is that they've made the decision to be celibate in order to serve God. They've made that choice, which, by the way, means that they can control their urges. And Jesus ends with this, let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. Jesus' position here is our bottom line Um, today. Being a disciple is difficult. Can we just agree to that? Being a disciple is is difficult. Living your life according to to God's standard is just not easy. There are a lot of things that we want to do. There are a lot of things, as we talked last week, that we think are a part of who we are. It's our personality. It's our makeup or whatever. And, And God says, I don't care how you feel, don't do that. But our society has said, look, if that's the way you feel, God must have given you that feeling and so you should be free to experience life and do whatever you're, you're led to. And I think Jesus would go back and go, look, that's not the way it was from the beginning. Here's the standard. Being a disciple is difficult. Following Jesus as the king means we don't make the rules we follow them, and we follow him. So this was going to be really um, powerful because it was going to be up on this, the screen. It's not going to be as powerful. But try to, try to stick with me, okay? I just, I just have a series of, of, of three questions. Um, the, the first one is this. How do you ask a question of the king? 
Now, we don't understand that because we, we live in a democracy, right? We don't have a king that we have to go to. And so it's, we're, we're like, I don't know how to a- ask a question of the king. Well, let me just say that um, in, in Jewish culture, and in not just Jewish culture, but in the culture of the world at the time, like in Jesus' day when they still had kings over nations, you could not be sad in the presence of a king. If you came into the presence of the king and you were frowning, you were upset, you were crying, they could just kill you. So if you can be killed just for having a bad day and seeing the king, how do you ask a question of the king? Um, How do you argue with the authority? If you can't even be sad in the presence of a king, how do you go to the king and say, I don't like the rule that you just made? I would, I would rather you do something different. Like, that offends me. I don't like it. How? You got any guesses as to what would happen if you did that in Jesus? You, they would just kill you. And, and they wouldn't just kill you pretty, like take you outside of the city or whatever. They would just kill you right there where you stood, dead, that's it. Here's this last question here. Now this one's, like, you, like think about this one, okay? When you oppose God, okay, so God says something, you think God's wrong. Have you ever been right? When you and I oppose God, are we ever right? We ever have the opportunity to go, God, you blew that. Have the words, my bad, ever crossed God's lips? (laughs) Do you you understand what I'm getting at? God has never made a mistake. He's never done something that wasn't completely right, completely just, completely loving. Most followers of Jesus, you and I have no problem uh, feigning failure, right? Feigning, like faking um, failure. And so we often start our condemnation of other people. Like we see a sin or a problem in somebody else's life, and we often start those conversations um, with, with like, I'm not perfect either, but they're worse, right? I mean, that's usually how that goes. It's like the spiritual version of, bless her heart, <laughs> but there's always something bad that comes after bless her heart. Um, or, or, we, or we might say, well, look, you know, we're talking to a friend. Well, I've had my share of problems too, but they're worse somehow. Like when, when we're pointing to somebody else's sin, we, we, we have no problem giving a nod to our own. Like I, I know I'm a sinner. I've, I've blown it too. I'm not perfect. The problem comes when sin gets personal. When, when our lapses in judgment, because that's what we would call them, right? When our lapses in judgment get labeled, that's when we have a problem. So um, call me a sinner and I'm fine with that. If, if, you, if you come to me and you call me a sinner, I'm going to go, yep, absolutely. I'm a sinner. I'm the biggest sinner because I know what I should do. And when I don't do it, like I, do, like I don't do it on purpose, right? So I, I know. But if you came to me and called me an adulterer or a thief or a liar or a drunk, like now we've got a problem, right? You, you haven't just said you're a sinner. You've attacked my character now. And so now I'm mad. So we're fine with being called a sinner because everybody sinned. But when those issues and those sins get personal, then we get angry. <laughs> Don't call me that. I'm not. Yeah, we are probably. We probably are whatever they're, <laughs> they're saying we are. We don't like dealing specifically with our own demons. And we'd rather forget our failures and, and move forward. Or at minimum, we'd, we'd rather bury our sins and then just try to begin again. And, and honestly, that's what happens a lot of times in divorce. We want to just bury that relationship. We want to bury that past. We, we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to own it. We, we don't want to work through it. We just want to bury it. 
and then try to move on. But unless you recognize and repent, you'll never truly find restoration. And so we need to deal with this issue of divorce honestly, openly, and biblically. And now, Matthew chapter 5, which is like where we've been, right, this whole week. And you're like, oh my goodness, we've got another 45 minutes. This is not true. Just hang with me. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. It was also said, right, so that's how he starts out. He just thinks, talking about murder and, um, and talking about adultery starts out. It was said, or the law said, so he says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. We, we read that in Matthew 19 already. We know it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 24. But I say to you, there's the series title, that everyone who divorces his wife, who's the everyone he's talking to right there? Men. <laughs> yeah, everyone who divorces his wife. Well, only a man would have a wife, so men... Whoever divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. In, in one translation, it says it makes her a victim of adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, let me just tell you that, that men and women have been beat over the head by this passage for hundreds of years. And, and I've had women... Um, come to me and, and say, you, you mean, like I made the rules, right? You mean that if my husband divorces me, I am an adulteress. And for hundreds of years, the church would have said, yep, because that's what Matthew 5 says. But who is Matthew 5 speaking to? Men, not women, men. Right, and so this divorce, like this, is where we start to get upset. This is where the the labels come out. But but look closer. Okay, in Matthew five, Jesus is laying the groundwork for the characteristics of a disciple in his new kingdom, and how people of his kingdom should conduct him, themselves, and how we as people of the kingdom should live in light of our belief. Okay, that's what Matthew five and six and seven, the Sermon on the Mount, is all about specifically. In this relation to our, relationship to our belief that Jesus is the king of a kingdom that is not of this world, right? So it's a new kingdom. It's a different kind of kingdom, but Jesus is still the king. Now, this new kingdom is not a kingdom of man. Jesus said, in the thing Tristan mentioned, Jesus said to the woman at the well that this kingdom would be a kingdom of spirit and truth, this kingdom is not a kingdom of, of man. And so look, we're not just people of the kingdom. We're priests of the kingdom. That's what he said of every believer. You and I are priests of the kingdom. That means we're ambassadors. We're the bridge between the king and those who are not yet a part of the kingdom. Jesus spent most of his interactions with the religious elite condemning them for their hypocrisy and sin because he said they were following the law, but they had no love. And love is the key to Jesus' kingdom. Remember, Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets by um, pointing us to the law's true function. So Jesus expected the commands of God to lead to life transformation and not just behavior modification. And so he said that in his kingdom, murderers would be judged and also those who committed adultery, not just physical murder, physical adultery, but murder in the heart and adultery in the heart and the minds because God judges the attitudes of the heart and not just the hands. And so in context... Jesus is teaching here. He's pointing to the way to believe in his new kingdom and not just the way to behave. Okay, let me try and um, sum it up here. We've talked about how male-controlled Jewish society viewed and handled um, divorce. It was easy for the man. It was impossible for the woman. It um, oppressed the woman who had no power in the 
relationship and no recourse whatsoever in dealing with whatever happened when she was wrong. And we've seen that the way it was, right, the way it was at the time was not the way it was supposed to be. In Jesus' kingdom, two commands reigned supreme. Love, well, who? God and love others. Thank you. Thought I'd need to wake you up a little bit. Love God, love others. In Jewish culture, Jesus' uh, Jesus day, the bar for divorce only for men was so low that any and every reason for divorce that was given was accepted. And so Jesus raises the bar and uses sexual immorality as the standard. Basically, he cut out every petty reason a man might divorce his wife and said, unless she is unfaithful to you, you can't divorce her. And what Jesus did in that one moment was cut out about 99.5% of divorce for Jewish men. In every other circumstance, besides the woman's infidelity, the man made her a victim of his selfishness and sin. That's what verse 32 states. Men, if you get a divorce from your wife, talking to Jewish men at the time, this is what happens. Divorce for any reason besides infidelity makes your wife the victim of your adultery. So a man would divorce his wife so that he could marry another woman. And in the eyes of the Jewish patriarchy of the day, this was totally fine. But Jesus was judging based on God's standard. And a man who divorces his wife for a petty reason and marries again makes his wife a victim of his own sexual infidelity, regardless of the law of the day. This this was huge. And, and, And look, Jesus says that anyone who marries a divorced woman, also in the Matthew 5 passage, Anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. But here's what Jesus was dealing with. Um, Basically, the Jewish law at the time for men was like a, uh, what was it, 60s or 70s key party. That's what was going on. The men would divorce their wives simply so they could be sexually intimate with another woman. And it happened over and over and over and over again. And they were just swapping wives back and forth and giving a certificate of divorce and thinking they were doing something good. But that was not God's standard because it's not loving toward God who created marriage to be a man and a woman, unity forever. And it wasn't loving toward your spouse who you promised to love and to cherish. And so look, If if you are considering divorce, it should be hard. It should be hard. It should not be easy. It's supposed to be hard because God hates divorce. And so I just want to encourage you to let it be hard. And maybe it's necessary in the midst of that hardness to allow God to soften your own heart toward your spouse so that you can better love God by obeying God. Because that's how God receives our love, right? When we obey him. But we need to recognize here in this text that Jesus was dealing with the issue of easy divorce. Not every divorce but easy divorce. Divorce is not supposed to be easy. So I believe, my opinion, that Jesus was not saying that divorce automatically makes you an adulterer. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. But remember, it's supposed to be two people together forever expressing through their relationship the love that God has for humanity and Jesus has for the church which is a never ending unconditional love and so easy divorce for petty reasons cheapens the love 
and the bond that marriage is supposed to represent. The unconditional forever love of God and his creation. God's standard is covenant relationship with one person as your one sexual partner for life. And we go, I don't know if I can do that. That's the standard. Being a disciple is difficult. This is part of it. One man, one woman, one partner for life. That's the standard, and he's the king. So what we have to do is stop, is start, start trying to live up to the standard instead of finding a way around it. All right, let's pray. God, this issue is, is, is a difficult, just like being a disciple. So I pray today that, that I've been faithful to your word. And, and, I, and I hope, God, that like, there's probably some folks here who have been carrying some baggage in, in, in their lives and in their heart and maybe even resentment toward you because of something that happened to them that they feel like then labeled them for the rest of their life. I don't think that's what you were saying. Jesus said that he came to set the captives free. And there's been a lot of people who've been held captive by this issue of divorce. And so, God, I, I, I pray that there's some freedom today. I, I pray again that I've been faithful to your word. But most importantly, God... I pray that the men and women here this morning and those who are watching online would have a higher view of marriage, that they would have a, a, a higher bar or standard for divorce, that the divorce would not be an easy out when we feel unfulfilled in our lives, but, but we would come to the place where we would go, yeah, life is difficult, yeah, life with my partner is difficult, but there's a standard and I'm going to do my best to live up to it. And so, Father, I, I pray that your grace and mercy would be with those who have who've been victims of divorce and those who've been the initiators of divorce. I pray that you would soften our hearts and that as we move forward and maybe engage in other relationships, that, that God, we enter those relationships taking those vows seriously. And, and then coming to the point where we say, okay, I, I, I know that there's been pain and divorce in my past, but this time the standard is this one person for the rest of my life. And God, that we, that we, would, that we would simply honor and follow your standard instead of trying to get around it. We need all the help we can get, God. So thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to follow, to follow you in every area of our lives. Help us to do that, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central, on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.